scriptures with you um, this morning. I want to go to Matthew, the 28th chapter. And while you're going there, we're just looking forward to, we're looking forward to um, two more Sundays in this building. We've been here approximately 60 Sundays, so we've got like two more to go. And uh, so we're, we're looking forward to that. And we're going to be uh, living on the hallelujah side. So, so we're looking forward to keep, just be praying about that. And, and the Lord just helps everything to continue in the right path and go the right way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, but you know what? We have, just by virtue of being here, we've blessed this place. I don't know what's going to follow us here, but. But we've put up a lot of praise in this place. <laughs> we've put up a lot of word of the Lord in this place. And so maybe maybe something good will follow us. Go to Matthew, the 28th chapter. I want to read uh, uh, the end of the chapter. And starting at verse uh, 16. But the eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mount where Jesus appointed them. And seeing him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And coming up, Jesus talked with them, saying, All authority in heaven and earth was given to me. Going then, disciple all nations, teaching them to observe all things what whatsoever I commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days until the completion of the age Amen. And you say, Pastor, you omitted something. No, I just didn't read what was added. I will talk about that after a little while. And so um, I want to go to uh, John, the 12th chapter, and read a little bit more than, than normal. But just hang with us here. I just want to start in the... 20th verse of the 12th chapter, John. This is kind of a familiar setting, and we refer to it occasionally. And so I just, there's something here that I want to go through. And there were some Greeks among those coming up that they may worship at the feast. Then these came to Philip, the one from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we desire to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and again, Andrew, and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered uh, them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, unless the grain of wheat that falls into the earth dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The one who loves his soul loses it. The one who hates his soul in this world will keep it to everlasting life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, you can underline this part right here and put out in the parentheses John 14, 3. And where I am, there my servant will also be. Present tense. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And my soul is troubled, and what may I say? Father, save me out of this hour. But on this account, I came to this hour. And so instead, he says this, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, and I have glorified it and will glorify again. Then standing and hearing the crowd said, Thunder occurred. Another said, an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered and said, this voice has not occurred because of me, but because of you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. Now, I know we read kind of extensively, but I just want to go back over this and kind of break it down a little bit. That the Lord's just going to bless his word. Amen. Jesus, we ask you to bless your word. Lord, we are going back to a time that you stood with your disciples, Lord, and you 
again, we're revealing such good things to them. Lord, and we just ask that your anointing would come on it because we weren't there, but they were, and they reported to us what you said. So we believe what you said. We believe it will be good for today. We believe your word is everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. So we ask you, God, bring it close to our heart this morning. Encourage and strengthen each one in this building. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. Now, like you, <coughs> casually reading uh, this chapter, Greeks came to see Jesus. Greeks. We find that a little bit interesting because we know that Greeks could not go into the temple. They were there to worship. This is the accusation on which they captured Paul when he went back down to Jerusalem is that he brought some Greeks with him and that they went into the temple. And so they captured Paul on that and arrested him. So we know these Greeks could not really, they were there for the worship, and yeah, it's possible, I say, it's possible that they were uh, maybe proselytes, but stating it in this way, it just seems like to me they were sort of outside. And, and so they're wanting to see Jesus. That's a good desire. Can you say amen to that? That's a great desire is that we would always want to see Jesus. But they come to Philip. Philip comes to Andrew and says, uh, you know, possibly, where's the Lord at? We need to find him. These men want to talk with him and see him. And so they come to Jesus and tell him that there's some Greeks that want to talk to him. And his answer is so peculiar. It doesn't seem like the right answer. It seemed like maybe that's sort of rude. Some people travel a long ways, and they're here at the feast, and they want to talk with you, Jesus. And his answer to them is, the hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. And so on the outside, that seems like not quite a good answer. But no, the real answer is this. You're going to get to see him. They want to see him. You're going to get to see him, but you're going to get to see him glorified. Now, this is concerning the death. This is concerning the cross. And all that he's going to talk about here in this, in this chapter is going to be concerning his death and his cross. So the Greeks come to see him. And on what level, we don't know. Herod wanted also to see him, remember? He wanted him to do some miracle that he could see and testify of who this man was and see him perform something. That's the wrong reason to see Jesus. The real focus of seeing Jesus in this chapter is yet to come. But the focus of seeing Jesus is to see the cross. This is the great first revelation. I have to appreciate, I don't know if some of you watch Jimmy Swider's channel. Something they've done in the last several years is everything they preach about is the cross. And I'm okay with that because that connection keeps us connected with Jesus. And so they'll, they'll preach, you know, a lot of different things, but always has concerning the cross and and but but I, like I said, I, I'm 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 good with that because there's something about seeing him glorified, and that's that is this like first step of glorification of the Son of Man is that he's going to the cross. Remember John 17, he said, "Father, it's the time now has come. Glorify your Son." Remember that almost parallel to these scriptures here, and it was talking about his death. So. His ministry now is coming to a close in the 12th chapter of John. It's coming to a close, and it's going to be secluded now for chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. He's only talking to his disciples. He's got some things to tell them. He's got things to go over with them, and, and we say a thank you to John, who wrote this to us. It's not in Matthew, it's not in Luke, it's not in Mark, but John wrote these things that Jesus said on his last night. 
And so they are heading that direction, and he secludes himself. He sequesters into a room with his disciples and begins to expand upon who he is and talk about his life, why he's here, who he is, and all those things. And, and so with his disciples now, this is his last time that he will be speaking openly. And he says to them an interesting thing, unless the grain of wheat falling into the earth dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, I would like to comment just a minute on what kind of fruit that his death and burial and resurrection and ascension, what kind of fruit would that produce? I'm going to hit an old hobby horse that we usually do. There's only one kind of fruit that a wheat produces. Go back to Genesis, the first chapter. And God creation, God in creation, did something miraculous that never will get out of line. He called it kind after kind. When he created the herbs, it said, and when he created the trees and the fruit thereof and the field and the, and, and the plants thereof, wheat that we have today was in the garden. Apples that I ate yesterday was in the garden. Pineapple were in the garden. Every good thing has come down kind after kind. An apple has never been a pear. Wheat has never been anything but wheat. Inside of that molecules that make up a grain of wheat is instructed by God that you're going to produce kind after kind. And so I love this analogy which the Lord does, compares himself to a grain of wheat which falls into the earth and dies. Because what's going to be produced in him is exactly what he is. You look at churchanity, Christianity all around us, and we fail to see where Christ is at in it. Because it's not bearing the same fruit. But the fruit of the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the fruit is going to be identical to the one who died and was buried. Can everybody say amen? See, just use this little simple analogy, but... But I'll tell you what, church doesn't look like him. And that's what scares me. That's what I'm afraid of is church does not look like him anymore. It looks like what we want it to be, how we want it to feel, how we want it to sound, how we want it to entertain people. I wonder if the Lord looks at most of it and says, I don't want anything to do with what you're doing. Because what he produced is going to be an exact copy of the one that came down from the cross and went into the earth. And I thought about that. Lord, help us. And I, I don't know that God is helping us. God is making us and molding us. But he will not mold you into his image if you don't want to go there. Years ago when I was a kid, and I, I think about this, and I don't get up and hobby horse on too much stuff and preach too much. I mean, we preached a lot about convictions. We preached a lot about... Uh, certain things that, that we took part in and didn't take part in and certain clothes that we wore and didn't wear and haircuts and all those things. I mean, that was a great big deal to us. And But then I began to think about, Lord, if you get in somebody's life, you're responsible. If you get in their life, don't be afraid of the conviction of God. Is that okay? Don't be afraid. And look around you and compare yourself to other people and what they're doing and how they're acting. Don't, don't do that. Let the Lord begin to convict your life and don't turn him away because what he's trying to do is make an exact copy of the wheat that fell in the ground and rose again and brings fruit. And so we are being molded into the image of we're being molded into the image of Christ. And so don't be afraid the spirit of the Lord says to you, you need to stop that. You need to do this differently and be listening to him because he is molding us and making us after his own fruit.
And so, um, let me clue you in. It will be the exact replica of him. That's the glory of the Lord. Now, I want to look at something here that, that goes on in this chapter, and, and it goes from, from the Lord, and he begins to speak about Father and about Son. Now, we have this great theological debate that continues to go on in the church. It's been going on for forever. Since the inception of the church, people begin to have their own ideas about Father and Son, I want to see this again. I just want to show you something here in this chapter that, that uh, how many believe that God was in Christ reconciling the word, world to himself? So Paul said, to wit, he says, God was in Christ. And so we understand that. We know that. Um, Father and Son, Spirit and flesh, Lord and God, I, I, I like what Thomas says when he finally figures out who Jesus is. And when you finally figure out who Jesus is, you're going to say the same thing. My Lord and my God. So Lord is what they called Him in the earth. God is what they call Him heavenly. So we see both spirit and flesh. But, but the Lord again is going to be speaking again, son of man, third person, and he begins to talk about that. And so as you kind of go down through these scriptures now, glorify Father, he says, Father, glorify your name. What is the name of God? We go over this quite a bit. What is the name of God? Yahweh. What does Yahweh mean? I am. That I am, right? This is the revelation to Moses. It's the revelation to the people of Israel. It is the revelation of God in Christ Jesus over and over and over. He repeatedly says, I am. Glorify your name, Father, speaking as the Son. Glorify your name. A voice comes out of heaven and says, I have and I will. And there is no, like, ending of that, that. That I will to a point, then I'm not going to glorify my name. His name is glorious. It will always be glorious. His name is forever lifted. And who is this Jesus? He is the flesh. I am. And so glorify your name. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. And now Jesus says... They're, they're thinking it thundered. They're thinking an angel spoke. Jesus said, no, you've heard this voice because of you, not because of me. You heard, you heard a voice. And then he begins to say a thing. Now, I've always thought in these next two stanzas, and, and I've been thinking about the devil. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the world will judge. Literally meanings. Now the world will judge. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And I'm thinking, good. Well, we get Jesus got to take the devil and just cast him out of the but that's not what happened. The devil stayed in place. Anybody here have any trouble with the devil? If he's cast out, we wouldn't have any trouble with him. I think we have a different thing it's saying here. Is the Lord is saying, now the world is going to do some judging. The world is going to judge him. And now the prince, the ruler of the world, and the Lord is the ruler of the world. The earth is his and the fullness thereof. The people and they that dwell therein, he is the ruler. But the ruler is going to be cast out. See, he's talking all of these things about his death. And so they are going to judge. They're going to come and arrest him. They're going to take him to court. They're going to file charges against him, which are lies, which, which are fabricated. And they are going to judge him, and they are going to cast him out. And as the Scripture said, he will be thrown out 
of the city and there on Golgotha outside the city he would be crucified. He's speaking as son, but then it all changes. He goes from third person to first person. And he says this, and I. So what we have is this progression that's going to happen. The world is going to take him, judge him, cast him out. But he says, and I. If I be lifted up, then I will draw all towards myself. He goes from talking in third person to talking in first person. And four times now in this one verse, he will refer to himself. But he says, if I be lifted up from the earth, and, and this, this if that's in there, I want to talk about that a little bit, because we know that's where he's going. We know that that is the purpose for this hour he came and so I believe there's a, a second meaning here. But also because of the impact of the cross will be a never-ending drawing by the power of his cross, of his death and his resurrection. I don't know how you came to the Lord. But I know it was through the cross. It was the drawing of the cross. If we eliminate the cross of Christ, then we eliminate the drawing power of Jesus. A lot of people have religion. I'm kind of walking a fine line here because I'm going to say a couple of things. But a lot of people have religion, but they just haven't met the one of the cross. I mean, they might say the name Jesus. They might say a lot of Christian phrases and quote a lot of Bible. But if you haven't come to the cross where the forgiveness of your sin is at. The forgiveness of your sin is not in a baptismal tank. The forgiveness of your sin is at the cross. For here is where he bore the sin. Can you say amen? He didn't bear it in a baptismal tank. He bore it on the cross and he bled and his blood was poured out that you and I might be forgiven of our sin. And so this is the hour of full revelation of Jesus. Remember earlier, a couple of Sundays ago, I quoted this verse. It said, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know I am. This, this becomes the revelation of who He is. Because really, the name Yeshua, everybody say Yeshua with me. Yahshua. Yah represents God, Yahweh, God, I am, and Shua is the saving part. And so his name implemented in with, put together, combined with Yah. Yahweh simply means that he is the one that saves us. The one on the cross, the I am there, is the one who is dying and shedding his blood for you and I. And so let's go this direction for a minute. Yeshua didn't die to lead humanity to another God person. We've misinterpreted the idea that says no man comes to the Father except by me. We've misinterpreted that to mean something that, that it does not mean. He's not taking you to another God person. So Jesus, you know, he did this work so he could hand it off to somebody else in heaven. You don't come to the Father except. You don't come to the Spirit except through the flesh. And I'm sorry, when we get away from His flesh, when we get away from His cross, we get away from Him dying and being buried in the earth. When we get away from that, you have no access to the Father's Spirit. You can't get there. No one comes. Prostompatera, except through the flesh of Jesus Christ. So I just want, you know, this whole spirit thing. No, you have to accept that Jesus Christ, His body, His sacrifice, His death, burial, and resurrection before you can ever get to the idea of the Spirit Father. And so, 
he says, and I, if I, I will, and myself. He's drawing people to himself. He is not drawing people to somebody else. He is not drawing them to another good place where they can just live their life in, in, in good and in, in relative ease and religion. He's drawing people to one thing. He's drawing people to himself. That means he's not drawing them to Holy Ghost action. He's not drawing them to Old Testament action. He's drawing them right in the middle, right to himself. He will not draw you to another. He will not hand you off to somebody else. You will never go that route because Jesus also said, if you remain in me. The great failure of the church is that we've left Christ on the sideline. I mean, I see it in, 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 in all denomination of what's going on. Not in every single church, but just typically in, in Christendom, let's say. But this, why Peter preached in Acts 4, and I like this. Peter got a chance to preach to the high priest family. Annas and Caiaphas, remember those who put Christ in the ground? Annas and Caiaphas? And also John and Alexander, the high priests that were coming up. Peter gets a chance to preach to them. I love the way the Lord organizes things. First of all, there's a blind man there, and, and uh, or the man at the gate, layman, and he's healed. And then they are arrested. Peter and John are arrested. And because of that being arrested, the Lord set them up to preach right in the face of the high priest. It's amazing. You can't even get an audience with the high priest. But God set it up so they would preach right in their face. And what Peter said to them, he pointed at them. I don't know how brass he is. They could have struck him down right here. He pointed to them and said, Jesus the Nazarene whom you crucified. And then he went on to say, there is salvation in no other one, for neither is there any name under heaven having been given among men whereby we must be saved. I love that message because, listen, that's, a, that's an all-exclusive message. There is only one name. Don't try and name other people in this. There's just one name to salvation. Don't try and add another God figure. There's just one name. There's just one Savior. Just one person. It's going to work in Peter's day, and it's going to work in our day. Those that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Period. Period. And when the church takes it somewhere else, there is no salvation. When another name is involved in your prayer of salvation, there is no salvation for you. I, I want to say this gently. Calling on God to save you is not enough. And, and I love Billy Graham and what he did for years and years and years, decades. Did such great things. Just ministered a lot of good things. But when he got older, something happened. And I don't know what, what he began to think. And, you know, the Lord just have to deal with that. But, but he said, people are coming to God that don't even know the name of Jesus aren't even praying in the name of Jesus and they're being saved. That is con con contradictory to the Word of God. That's why His name must be published, because there is no other name whereby you must be saved. So no, people are not coming to the Lord. They're not coming to God. They're not coming to Father outside of Christ. That, that's not happening. As much as we humanly would like to say that, just call on God. You know, a friend of ours, some years ago, we were in the oil fields, and 
he come up on a wreck where a tanker had flipped or something, and and the guy was had been on fire. I think he was dying, and you know his thing was call on God, call on God. No. No, there's only one salvation, and I'm sorry to say that, that if you miss this, you miss it. But the name is Yeshua Jesus. There is no other name. You can cry out, Father, as much as you want. It's not going to work. There's just one name by which salvation comes because you have to honor the one who was on the cross, not just a God somewhere, but the one who gave his life and died and bled and buried and resurrected and ascended on high. That's why with the heart you must believe and with the mouth you must confess what Jesus Christ is Lord. So I get in this isolationist thing and I mean there's labels. You can, you can say, well, you're just, you're just into Jesus only. I, I, guess, I think that works. I think that works a little bit. You don't preach nothing about Holy Ghost. No, I don't. I preach about the Spirit of Christ. I preach about uh, Penuma Hagias, the Spirit, holy, but never as a title, never as another person. I don't want another person. I only have one Savior, and that's the only one I want. And He has expanded this thing in that, in that He could only be in one place at one time while He's on the earth. He's not in multiple places, but thank God His Spirit is here this morning. Jesus is here this morning. He's over in Africa today. He's over, you know, in Saudi Arabia today. He's everywhere, and that He could do only by falling in the earth and dying and raising fruit again by His Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, I want to look at this. I, I occasionally come up with this double entendre thing. I don't like to forget it because there's a lot of things in the Scriptures that are kind of a double entendre. just means it's a statement with a double meaning. So, I believe this statement, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to me. I believe this to mean two things. And the Scripture does say, this he said concerning his death. But I also believe that it goes further than that. But it hangs on the condition if. And so that's why I said before, why does he say, if I am lifted up? Because he knows that's where he's going. There's, there's no question there. So that kind of leaves me with the idea that it has maybe another meaning. If I am lifted up, I will draw King James says all men, but really uses the word panta. It's, it's every, every man, woman, boy, child, everybody. I will draw everybody unto me. But it places this if there. Because what happens if we do not lift him up, he will not draw unto himself. Think about it now for a second. Why would he put the condition there? He's not talking just to them crucifying him. I believe he's talking to everyone perpetually. If I am lifted up, and I, he said, concerning me. We're going to change the whole subject now, and I. The world's going to do this, but I, if I be lifted up. I will draw. So you can go on Google and look and see who will draw. I did yesterday. You know, who, who's going to draw? And so, so some of the scriptures say, you know, that, that you can't come unless the Father draws you. You can't unless the Spirit draws you. And, and I'm real good with that because I know who's doing the drawing. And I know where it's drawing to. I will draw you to signs and wonders and miracles if I be lifted up. No. I will draw you to church stuff if I be lifted up. You'll get all of your ducks in a row, and orthodoxy is just going to be wonderful if I'm lifted up. No, no, that, that's not what he's saying. 
He's making this all about him. Lord, can it be about something else? We're tired of it being about you. Why isn't it about us? And uh, that's the approach that the world has taken. The church world has tried to make it other things besides the Lord Jesus. So I wrote down a few things here. You're going to say, well, you've already said that, but I'm going to say them again. I just saw an apostolic church grieve my spirit. It has to be worth $20 million. I'm just something is not right about that. Well, the only reason why you're saying that, Pastor, is because you guys are getting a little thing out in the country. Yeah, no, no, that's not it at all. I am so happy. I'm thrilled with, with what the Lord is going to, you know, just bless us with, with a home. I'm just happy about that. But the sermon that was preached was all about going out, getting people to repent and to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sin. In a $20 million church, it looked like, I don't know, the front platform with the baptistry was probably a million dollars. We got a problem. I don't know what they're lifting up. They're using the name of Jesus in the formula. But I don't know what's being lifted up. It looks like to me that pride is being lifted up. That cushy desire is being lifted up. Way beyond the needs of what any church would possibly need. The money that they are so intent on bringing people in. They could use that money to bust them in there so they could baptize them. But they spent it on a glorious edifice and building to the glory of God. I want to tell you something about that, how I feel about it. David just got himself a palace built. And he looked out his window and saw the flapping tent out there. He said, here I am in this beautiful house of cedars. Beautiful, just finished it. And God, you're down there in that little old tent. I'm going to bring God up to style. We're going to build him a house. When we get done, boy, it is really going to glorify him. Then the, the prophet came to David, and the prophet said, Who told you that I wanted a house? In other words, God's not working in the beauty of a house. He's not working in, in, in spreading out money and looking great. In fact, he, it's just the opposite of that. God is not looking for that at all. What He is looking for is His name to be lifted up. If you can do that in such a condition, which I don't see it, but if you can do that, good. But don't forget, His name must be lifted up above all other things. And so recently we witnessed another church, another happened to be apostolic church that preached that their movement is the way, the truth, and the life. That does not lift up Jesus at all. Our organized efforts, our denominations, our rules, our dogmas, our doctrines do not lift up Jesus. We get all of our dogmas and doctrines in place and say, oh good, now I'm lifted up. No, that's not how we lift up the Lord. Come on, say amen. That's not what we do. That's not what we're going to do here. We're going to make it a point that he must be lifted up. And so we were in the Holiness Church. It's been over a year, you know, almost a year and a half ago now, and some of you were there, and, and we witnessed that, uh, that what the fervent preaching and, and just, you know, it was just so intent upon the idea of Holy Ghost revival that they forgot Jesus. They forgot him. He wasn't even in it. The poor woman got up. And she said, let's take a time out here. We need to song, sing a song about Jesus. She was right. Because they was out of the whole thing. He wasn't even mentioned in the thing. It was about revival and Holy Ghost and revival. And, no, no, no. You never leave Jesus behind. He is the leader. He is the archagon. He is the author, and he is the finisher. He's not one that tags behind. 
and we do our thing and do our church stuff and, and he's following along behind. He better be leading this thing. He better be the one who is lifted up high in the eyes of the people. Amen. Amen, amen. That just bears witness to our spirit. Then we've been to some churches around here where, and it's not just here, it's everywhere, fundamentalist movements so steeped in, in John Calvin's lying doctrines can't see beyond the ends of their noses. It's not about Christ. It's about doctrine. It's about liturgy. It's about getting the right song, the right mood, the right lights, the right smoke, the right cameras. Oh, God, help us that somehow we've left him out of the mix. He never needed any of that to turn the world upside down with his gospel. All he needed was for people to lift him up. If I be lifted up, I will do the drawing. Thank God I don't have to do it. Can you say amen? I, I grew up as a young man in church, and I felt almost sometimes going home, I felt so condemned, I didn't know what to do. It's your fault that people aren't coming to the Lord. It's your fault. That you, Rodney was in, in a meeting. What did the brother say? He said, where were you? Where were you when I was out in the world just screaming and yelling? Rodney come home from that. He said, man, Dad, I don't know. Just the condemnation was so thick. Were you there, Dustin? A couple of you guys had gone up to that meeting. He said, man, he just beating us down. We're supposed to save people. You know, we, we have the Great Commission. Oh, thank you. That's why I read, I read uh, this morning, I read Matthew 28, because we need to talk about the Great Commission. National-wide churches and organizations, organizations have welcomed, thank you, Brother Chris, a familiar spirit into their midst in music. It is not the worship of Jesus, the one who was on the cross. It's another Lord. Paul told, I think it was the church of, of Galatia, he said, there, there's another Jesus out there. you got to watch for him. He will, he's familiar. He looks like Jesus. He's not Jesus. And then most of the Christian world is absorbed by this thing called the Great Commission. Matthew 28 does not instruct his disciples or us to go out in the world and save people. Sorry, it's a misinterpretation. It says to go and disciple people. You can't disciple anyone until they're already saved. And you can't save anyone. Because they are only going to be drawn by the Lord Jesus as we lift him up. God doesn't save him. I gave up a long time ago trying to save people. If you want to go to hell, good luck. I can't do anything about it. But I offer you this morning the name that is above all names that can take care of your sin problem. He can change you and mold you and make you. Don't give up on it. God is wanting to do something in your life. Can you say amen? So I want to ease off the church that it's not your responsibility to save people. It's our responsibility to disciple people, teaching them the things whatsoever the Lord has said. Is that okay? Everybody okay? So what does that mean? Well, I don't care about the lost. No, that doesn't mean that at all. It's just not your responsibility to save them. You can't save them. Get you down there in a headlock. You are going to repent. No, that's not going to work. Get up here and preach something that forcing them, man, I've said in services, I'm going to count to three, and then I want you to raise your hand if you want to be saved. One, two, three. It didn't work. I'm going to do it again. What, what in the world? We're not counting to three to come to Jesus. He is drawing us by His Spirit in our life, or we're not coming. So quit trying to save folks. I quit a long time ago. I'm going to try and disciple people. The Lord gives us, gives us the ability to do that. But the Great Commission is not to go out and save people. It is to disciple people. And now also while we're on Matthew 28, and you know I omitted that part earlier. I want to explain that. The commission of Matthew says nothing about baptism in, in a triad name. 
But my Bible says, go therefore and, and, and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That was an addition to what was established early on by the early church fathers. It wasn't there. It was added in later, 3rd, 4th century. Origen quoted it without it there. Irenaeus quoted it without it there. Eusebius of Caesarea, who had collected all the fragments of the Bible and bound it together, quoted it some 28 times that it wasn't there until he went to the Council of Nice and they said it needs to be in there and they put it in there to baptize. Okay, let me, say, let me tell you this. If the Lord said in Matthew 28, Peter, disciples, you baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Peter defiled that order 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. Or 40 days, whenever it was. Because he said, you only are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is no other name by whereby you must be saved. Can you say amen? And, and so this whole idea of go out into the world and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost... And that's going to get the job done. That's not it. It's not going to work. Eusebius said it this way. He said, the Lord said, and into, we don't have it exactly like this, but this is, this is what Eusebius said. Go make disciples of all races in my name, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. So, I said all that to say this. There's nothing greater we can do then lift up the name of Jesus. That's our calling. That's what we should be doing as a church. Lift up our Lord, our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, He will draw men unto Him. See, we don't believe it. I think about what what Pastor Rodney said the other day. And when he quoted, and he said that, that um, which one of them was it that was a man and the children came to him? Jesus. Okay, it was Jesus. Oh, the, after he had taken the, the whip and cleaned the temple, and then he was standing there, and the children came to him. They weren't afraid of him. They saw him as a real man. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We don't need to help the Lord. Lifting him up will minister to people's lives. We don't need to help him. Somebody said we got the wrong bait. They've got the wrong bait. We have the right bait. The only bait we have is just lift up Jesus. If people can just see him. Greeks, if you want to see him, you're not going to see him now. He's not talking. But in a few days, he will be hanging on a cross. And you come and see him there. Because really, that's what you need in your life. Is to see him lifted up. And if we as a church body will lift him up continually. That's why we sing songs about him. That's why we, we pray prayers about him. That's why we, we, we do sermons about the Lord. We see him. We lift him up. We see who he is. He's the one that comes and ministers to our souls. Amen. So I want to go back to the 17th verse in Matthew 28, and I'm done. Matthew 28, 17, just before um, the Great Commission. It said, Jesus came to them, and seeing him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. Did you ever read that? But they doubted. And then the, then the Lord said unto them, go into all the world. They doubted. Really, this word is distazo. It's really not about faith. It's about distazo. Distazo is a double stance. Distazo means uncertain at a crossroad because refusing to choose one way above another. To halt between two opinions. That's what detazo means. They saw him, but they didn't know if that was going to be sufficient. 
They're going to be challenged with carrying the gospel to the world. But they're just not sure if that's sufficient enough. Is Jesus sufficient enough to do this? Or do we have to have the works of man to get it done? Do we have to promote him? Do we have to do things that that really he hasn't called us to do so that people might come to the Lord? And they're halted between an opinion now. They don't know for sure if they should put everything towards him or what do we do? Do we hold back? Do we do we do this thing partially towards the Lord and and partially we lift up his name? No. There has to be a 100% effort by the church. And I hope this morning that we are ready and we have been ready and we have been doing and we will continue to do is to lift up Jesus Christ in this place. I don't want to halt between opinions now and say, well, there's other things that we can do. There's other ideas and methods and the world really has some good methods that we need to use. Who was that stupid demon-possessed person Brother Chris was reading it the other night that said, really, the world has got the good ideas and we need them. We don't need any of the world's ideas. There's only one idea that we need, one thing that we need to do that's going to save people. We can't wrestle young people down, hold them down, and make them receive. We can, we can, we can teach them. We can bring them from the time they're little tiny guys all the way through high school, and they're going to walk off from the church anyway. But if we lift up Jesus, the Lord can draw them and minister to them. They're going to stay because they know the one who has drawn them. And that's what we're going to do. Can you say amen? I don't want to halt between two opinions. Like, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe the world, Christendom and the world has some really good ideas. No, I'm not going that way. And that's why we're not going that way with music. We're not going that way with prayer. We're not going that way with preaching. We're not going that way with, with where we gather and how we gather and what we do. We're going to do it all in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? So I just hope that I encourage you this morning that, hey, get your eyes off everything else and get them towards the Lord. He said, if I and I, he said, if I be lifted up, I will do the drawing. Amen. There was this old song that came across my mind. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. I'm going to sing of my joy since he came. I'm going to tell of his power every day and every hour. I'm going to lift up that wonderful name. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. I'm going to sing of my joy since he came. I'm going to tell of his power every day and every hour. I'm going to lift up that wonderful name. You almost have it. Ronnie, help me. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. I'm going to sing of my joy since he came. I'm going to tell of his power every day and every hour. I'm going to lift up that wonderful name. We stand with us this morning and, and we just